Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. All right. Well, as Miss Rhonda and the kids head back to Kids Church, I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and go with me to Matthew chapter 28. Uh, now, this morning we're looking at the Great Commission, but really we're looking at a specific part of the Great Commission as we continue uh, this morning in part two of this series I'm calling Here We Stand. Uh, exploring what it means to be Southern Baptist, kind of what are some of the, the primary beliefs, the, the core or the foundational beliefs that we have as Southern Baptists. And, and this morning, uh, we're going to turn our attention to God. Now, now on Wednesday night, somebody asked me what I was preaching on Sunday morning, and I said, God. And they go, well, yeah, but, but no, what are you preaching on? And I said, no, really, that, that, that is my topic. We're going to dive into the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, I have a tall order this morning because scholars, guys a lot smarter than me, have been debating the nature of the Trinity for the past 2,000 years or so, and I have 30 minutes, okay? So uh, I'm going to do my best to give you the Cliff's Notes version of uh, what the Trinity is. And now I've really tried to not oversimplify things too much, and yet uh, this is one of those concepts that, that we're just not going to be able to wrap our heads around as, as human beings. This is, this is something that, that blows our mind because we're going to look at three major truths this morning uh, about who God is, about the Trinity. Those come, uh, the three truths that I'm, that I'm covering this morning come from a book called Systematic Theology by a, a guy named Dr. Wayne Grudem, who's a professor of theology at Phoenix Seminary. If you are interested, that book is about 900 pages long. It's about that thick, makes a really good paperweight. Um, it, is a, it, it, it is a treasure trove of theological material. I, I highly recommend it to you. It's a, it's a fantastic resource, one that I've leaned on heavily throughout my ministry. Uh, but we're going to begin this morning in the Great Commission. Now, now that may seem like an odd place to begin, because normally uh, we use that and then we talk about the mission that, that Christ has given to his disciples. And believe me, we're going to get there, but we're going to focus on the when, when Jesus says that he wants to we're called to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're going to focus on that piece this morning. So if you will, uh, turn your Bibles, Matthew 28, and stand with me as we read aloud, as we read the word of the Lord this morning. Um, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, and this is what the word of the Lord says. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the chance for us to gather in here this morning. Even though it's a little warm, uh, I, I thank you that, that in spite of air conditioners not working right, we can still gather and with the blessing of your word and believing that the spirit will move in this room this morning. And so will you open our hearts and our minds this morning as we cover a topic that is difficult for us to wrap our minds around. And yet we see clearly presented in scripture. So be with me this morning as I present this, this important truth to us this morning. We ask all these things in the precious mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. 
Now, now, as I said, this might seem like a bit of an odd passage to launch into a sermon about the Trinity. Uh, surely there are some other places throughout the New Testament that I could have gone where, where the Trinity is mentioned. For instance, um, in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when each of them records Jesus' baptism, you, you have Jesus the Son being baptized, you have God the Father speaking from heaven, you have the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. Why wouldn't I choose one of those passages? Or even maybe one of Paul's greetings where he says... A, Grace and peace to you in the name of our Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, Simple. Because the mission of God is tied very closely to the character of God. And so if we want to understand what it means to be disciples, if we want to understand what it means to make disciples, as we're commanded to do here in Matthew 28, then we need to understand something about this God that we're called to follow and to call others to follow as well, because you cannot understand God's commission without understanding his character. And so from the statement of faith that, that our church adheres to, the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, this is, this is how it starts in, in, this, in the article about God. It says, there is one and only one living and true God. He is an intelligent, spiritual, and personal being, the creator, redeemer, preserver, and ruler of the universe. God is infinite in holiness and all other perfections. God is all-powerful and all-knowing, and his perfect knowledge extends to all things past, present, and future, including the future decisions of his free creatures. To him we owe the highest love, reverence, and obedience. The eternal triune God reveals himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with distinct personal attributes, but without division of nature, essence, or being. Now, it says a lot of things. We don't have time to cover everything that, that, that they break down there. But the major thing that we're going to look at this morning is that um, there is one and only one living and true God. And to him we owe the highest love, reverence, and obedience. The eternal triune God reveals himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with distinct personal attributes, which we're going to look at in just a moment as well, but without division of nature, essence, or being. So what we're going to see this morning is that the three uh, members of the Trinity have different roles, some different responsibilities, but are still part of the same God. Uh, there have been a lot of illustrations that have been used to try and explain the Trinity, and they all fall dramatically short. All right, now, now to be fair, this is a deep concept. Um, you will not find the word Trinity in your Bible anywhere. So if you're like flipping to the concordance, trying to find like a passage that speaks specifically to the Trinity, you're not going to find it. We get that word Trinity from the words tri and unity, meaning three in one, three that are united in one. All right. But, but the concept is certainly there. As I said, here in the Great Commission, we see it. Uh, we see uh, the, the three persons each uh, at Jesus' baptism, as I mentioned just a, just a minute ago. But this morning, we're going to look at three statements that um, clarify, hopefully, for us uh, how we see God and how we see the persons of the Trinity. The first, the first statement or the first truth that we're going to look at this morning is that God is three persons. Hey, that's number one. God is three persons. Our God reveals himself in three persons who are co-eternal and co-equal. These are God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, all three persons are equally God, yet they are distinct from one another. 
And as I've said, no illustration's perfect, but, but I think this is one of the most effective ones that I've seen. Maybe, maybe you've heard um, uh, an illustration used of an egg. Well, well God's kind of like an egg because you have the shell, um, you have the yolk, and then you have the, the white part. Um, and, and okay, except those are all parts of the egg. None of them are the whole egg. And even, in, even with the three people, three persons of the Trinity, you can't say that one is more God than the other. They're all fully God. And yet they're three persons. So this uh, illustration I thought worked pretty well. You have God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, each of those are God, but the Father is not the Spirit, who is not the Son, who is not the Father. Clear enough? All right. Um, but, but like I said, I just, you're not going to find a human way to illustrate this. This is just this is one of the best that I've that I've seen um, because it clarifies uh, who who they are and who they aren't. Right? They are God. They are not each other. Clear as mud. Awesome. Um, now, now the primary passage before us, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, uh, declares that each each of these three persons exist. Right? This is Jesus talking the last words that he gives to his disciples before he ascends into heaven the 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 marching orders that he has for his disciples and it's this go make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit you know we, we talk a lot about being followers of christ and, and that's well and good, right? We, we, we follow Christ's example. We are saved by Christ's sacrifice on the cross. But I think in a much more fuller sense, we are disciples of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We are disciples of this great God. That's why we're baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He was teaching his disciples something. Now, at this point, I don't even think they really had a grasp of, of who the Holy Spirit was and, and certainly not um, what they were going to experience 10 days later on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit literally comes upon the believers and changes the experience of followers of Christ from then on. Because now we're not just experiencing God through stories that we've heard about Him. We're not just having to read about him. We experience him personally as the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in each of us. But I'm getting ahead of myself, so let's back up, okay? So, first truth, uh, God is three persons. Second truth, each person is fully God. As I said, in our illustration that we had there, you, you can't say that the, that the Son is more God than the Father or that the Holy Spirit is more uh, God than the Son. They are each uh, co-equally God. And in the, in the Godhead, we have three persons. We, and and I, I'm going to um, kind of lay out a little bit uh, some of the roles that each of them plays without being too simplistic. Because, well, you, you'll see what I mean here in just a second. So, so we have God the Father, who is primarily the creator and the caretaker of creation. Right? The creator and the caretaker of creation. Now, it's not to say that's all he does. That's not to say he's the only one of the Godhead that, that is involved in creation. We'll see that in a second. But he is primarily, he's the creator. So in Genesis 1.1, we're told, in the beginning, God created the heavens 
and the earth. And then in Matthew 6, 26, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. And he says, consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? So Genesis 1-1, we see that God the Father is the creator. In Matthew 6-26, we see that he is the caretaker, feeding the birds of the sky. And Jesus says we can know then that he will also take care of us. Then we move to God the Son, who is the savior and sustainer of creation. God the Son, the Savior and sustainer of creation. Um, John, in the beginning of his gospel, in his prologue, he has this, this epic introduction where he lays out who Jesus is, who this, this Christ is that he's about to tell his readers about. And this is how his story begins. This is John's Christmas story, if you will. And he says, in the beginning was the Word, meaning Jesus. When words capitalized like that, W refers to Jesus. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Now, hold on. We just said God the Father is the creator, and here it's talking about the, the Son creating too, right? I told you, don't, don't think about these too simplistic. We're going to see in a second that, that uh, Paul's going to tell us that Christ was actively involved in creation as well. But we, we know the Son primarily through our relationship with Him as Savior, the one who came to give His life in our place, to die the death that we deserved because of our sin. Colossians 1, uh, 15-17 says he, again, Paul writing here about Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, look here, and by him all things hold together. That verse has always blown my mind. So not only did Christ come and give his life as a ransom for you and for me, but, but he is holding our universe Together. He is the Savior. He's also the sustainer of creation. And then we have God the Holy Spirit. And the role uh, that we see primarily of the Holy Spirit in Scripture is He convicts of sin and He cultivates Christian character. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin and He cultivates Christian character. Again, we know that's not all he does. A couple weeks ago when we first started this and, and we looked at 2 Timothy 3, uh, when, when we kicked off this series looking at scripture, we were told that, um, that God breathed the words. And, and Peter tells us in uh, 1 Peter, um, chapter, or 2 Peter chapter 1 uh, that the Holy Spirit spoke through the prophets of old the men of old as they wrote. And so we know this is not all the, the Holy Spirit does, but in our world, in our experience today, these are two of his primary roles. He, he convicts us of sin, and he cultivates Christian character in us. Um, John 16, 7 through 11. Again, this is Jesus speaking. He says, Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. 
It is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, and you will no longer see me. And about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. See, it's the Holy Spirit when, when we as believers do something we know we're not supposed to do and, and we feel that, that sting of conviction knowing, man, I, as a follower of Christ, this is not something I should be involved in. That's the Holy Spirit um, convicting us of sin, pointing out some things that are wrong in our lives and then moving us toward, correcting us, moving us toward Christian character, moving us toward holiness. All right, so, so far we've said uh, God is three persons. Each person is fully God. Now, if we stopped there, we wouldn't have this tension that we have, but we would have a serious theological error in that if we stopped after number two, we would probably walk out of here thinking, okay, cool, I can grasp that. We have three gods, right? Three persons, each person's fully God, three gods. No. Because here's number three, there is only one God. And this cannot possibly be emphasized enough. Because scripture declares this over and over and over again. Throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament, there is only one God. Now at this point, you might be scratching your head going, how does that make sense? And I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I wish I had a better answer for you because we go, okay, three persons. Each person's fully God, one God. If that makes our heads spin a little, that's okay. It's supposed to make our heads spin a little. Because we serve a God who is bigger than anything we can imagine. You serve a God that you cannot possibly understand. And, and if we stop and think about it for just a second, would we want to serve a God that we could fully explain? That in the 80 years of life or so that we're granted here on this earth, do we really want to serve a God that we can figure out in our limited time span, with our limited experience, and our limited knowledge? Now, it's not to say that we can't try. It's not to say that we can't come to know this God intimately. Simply that there is an infinite amount of knowledge about who God is that you and I will never grasp in this life. The good news for followers of Christ is we have an eternity to get to know him. As I said, this is declared over and over again throughout the Bible that um, there's only one God. I have, I have a few passages here. Uh, first of all, Deuteronomy 6.4. We use this one a lot. This is called the Shema. This is a passage that um, Jews would have recited every single day. They, they would have had it memorized. They would have recited it uh, every day as they went throughout their life. And this is the way it starts. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. One God. Exodus 15.11. Uh, Lord, who is like you among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, revered with praises, Performing wonders. 
And then Isaiah 45, this is God speaking directly to Isaiah. I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God but me. I will strengthen you, though you do not know me, so that all may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is no God but me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Three times in two verses he declares, there's not another one. I'm the only God you get, I'm the only God you need. There is no other. All right, so we've talked kind of, kind of the theory of, of the Trinity. Now let's, let's bring it home and, and apply it a little bit and ask, what on earth does this mean? How, how does the fact that God is three, but, but really just one, affect the way I live on a daily basis? I, I, I've drawn three conclusions, but believe me, these are by far not the only conclusions you can draw from the fact that our God is three in one. But there's some that I think are, are applicable to us today. First of all, we are created for community. In the Godhead, we see a relationship. We see interaction in the way the Son relates to the Father, and the way the Holy Spirit relates to the Son and the Father, the way the Father relates to the other two. In fact, I think this is part of what God meant in Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27, when he says, Then God said, Let us, by the way, you notice the way he speaks there, us, three, three, and, three and one, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. So God's saying, let us make man in our image. Then he talks about the way he creates them. He creates them in the image of God. He creates them male and female. We are made for community. If God exists in community in himself, and we are made in his image, we are designed for community. And, and I think this is why loneliness is such a destructive force in our world. Because loneliness is the absence of the community that we were created for. Look, we, we live in a world that we like to say is more connected than at any other point in history, right? And and in one sense, that, that's true. We are. We are more connected than at any other time in the world. Um, I had the opportunity a couple weeks ago to um, do some teaching with a church in the Philippines. Somehow they found us online. They found us through Facebook. And they've been following me and following some stuff that our church has posted. And, and their, their pastor uh, messaged me and said, hey, I would love for you to, to do some teaching. We can set it up through uh, Skype. And, and so one night, I'm sitting on my back porch around 8 o'clock at night, and they're sitting in a classroom in the Philippines at 10 o'clock the next morning. And, and, and I taught them through the same passage that I preached here on, on the scriptures. Listen, that's cool, right? I mean, and that, that, is, that is something that we get to do now that, that, that in a way that's never been done before in human history, to be, to be able to be sitting in my back porch and them be sitting in a classroom in the Philippines and us having real-time interaction. We're, we're more connected than we've ever been in history, and yet we might also at the same time be more disconnected than we've ever been at any time in history. 
We have the world at our fingertips, but we're missing out on the world around us. And while these are great devices and have, have brought a lot of things, they are amplifying loneliness in our world. And loneliness is destructive because it fights against the image of God in us. Now, why is that? Maybe we, maybe for some of us, we, we fear being fully known. I think that's a big thing. Maybe, maybe we have this fear that if, well, if they know me, they won't love me. If, if they really know me, they, they, they won't like what they find. Maybe because a lot of us don't like what we find when, when we fully know ourselves. But here's where that lie breaks down. Because the Bible tells us that God knows us completely and loves us more intimately than we could ever possibly imagine. Now this community is, is no clearer anywhere else in, in, in any other relationship than it is in marriage. Where two people are joined in God's designed community for life. Now, it's not quite the triunity that, that exists in God himself, but the marriage relationship is as close as we can get in this life to experiencing that kind of unity with God. The kind of community and unity that ex exists in the Godhead. Marriage is the closest relation, human relationship we have that, that um, mimics that. We also see, by the way, the way that subordination and submission can occur within a relationship. Because we, the Holy Spirit, for instance, submits to both the Father and the Son. This is evident. We, we looked at this um, earlier in John 16. And Jesus says, it's for your good that I go away. Because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit won't come. But if I do go, I will send him to you. So we get the idea that Jesus is ascending into heaven and then he's, he's sending the Holy Spirit down. The Holy Spirit is submissive, obeying the, the Son and the Father. Um, we see that the Son submits to the Father. Primarily we see this uh, maybe most explicitly in the Garden of Eden where Jesus is praying and he says, um, essentially, God, I'm, I'm not really excited about what's about to happen here. So if there's any other way, if there's any other possible way for, for your plan to be accomplished, let's, let's go with it. But nevertheless, not my will, yours be done. And we see the son submitting himself to the father's plan. So again, this is not a heavy-handed or, or a forced submission, but a glad submission that exists within the Godhead. So that's the first um, conclusion, the first application. We are cre created for community. Second of all, we are created for unity in diversity. As, as I've already said, the, the Godhead is united. They are all three fully God and yet distinct in their roles. They, 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 we see them doing different things throughout the Bible throughout history, and yet still united as God. See, what, what, maybe you've noticed if you've um, read Facebook for five minutes or turned on the news that, that we're kind of divided right now as a nation. Um, if you follow SBC News at all, it's, it's kind of a turmoil. Dallas um, 
could be one of those SBC meetings that you end up hearing about for a long time. Um, and you know what I've learned? We're, we're so tempted to, to focus on things that divide us, right? We're so, so, so tempted to focus on ways that we're different. And yet in God, in the Godhead, we see an amazing unity and diversity. Three persons who are co-eternal, co-equal, and yet at the same time have distinct roles. So what that means for us as the body of Christ is that um, if we are followers of Christ, if we're obedient to God's word, we can celebrate diversity in cultures. We can celebrate diversity in languages, in races, even in things like vocations because we're united as followers of Christ, as those who have been freely forgiven by the blood of Christ shed for our behalf. And here's the last thing. We are called to make disciples of this great God. We saw this in Matthew 28 at the beginning. It says, Go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. What's, what's God's ultimate plan? to save sinners. It's to bring men, women, children into his kingdom from every race, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And how does he do that? By building an army of followers who will go wherever he leads, whether that's to a third world country or three doors down. Across the world or across the street, we're called to make disciples of this great God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to worship. To come in and marvel at your greatness and at your majesty. That we can worship you even though we can't completely wrap our minds around you. At the end of the day, when we consider that you are one God who exists in three persons who are co-eternal and, and co-equal, distinct and yet united, may we cry out, just as we sang a few minutes ago, how great is our God. God, help us to, as, as people who claim to be followers of you, people who claim to be saved by Christ's sacrifice on our behalf, may we reflect you in our lives, may we reflect you in our community. May we reflect your character as we focus in, in the beginning in the church, not on things that divide us, but on things that unite us. Oh God, may we be people who are obedient to the Great Commission to make disciples. Will you show us how to do that? 
thank you so much for your greatness, for who you are, and for what you've done for us in sending Christ to be the sacrifice on our behalf. We ask all these things in his mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-500-1111.